We've got two readings uh, this evening from God's Word. The first from the Old Testament in Psalm 95. Psalm 95. And then we'll be turning to the book of Hebrews, in chapter 3, and beginning at verse 7. We'll read first Psalm uh, 95 together, and this is what God's Word says. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. Today, if only you would hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For forty years I was angry with that generation, I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And then verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 3, we read into chapter 4 together. So, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for forty years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest." See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful and believing heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did In the rebellion, who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest. Just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger, They shall never enter my rest. 
and yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above he says, They shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Amen. As we come to God's word uh, together, let's uh, pray and ask him to uh, help us. Heavenly Father, please would you forgive us that uh, so often your words can just go in through one year and then uh, out of the other. And so we pray that that wouldn't happen uh, this evening, but that you would apply your word to us and that we would not harden our hearts as we hear your voice. Please help us. For Jesus' name's sake. Amen. Well, as we set out on this new year together, I wonder, why is it that you come to church? That might sound like quite a straight question, maybe a bit of a blunt question. Uh, but a new year brings with it the, the opportunity for us to uh, check our own hearts, to examine our own motives, to uh, hear uh, what uh, the Word of God says to us as He shapes us by His Spirit and to correct us and to refocus us in any way that we might need as we begin uh, a new year here at uh, Bethel. Maybe you come or you uh, listen online because it's just what you do. It's a part of your uh, week. It always has been for many years. You started when you were young and you've just kept it up. It's, it's a habit that uh, you have. And you enjoy meeting with others and you come and uh, you catch up with those same few people every week and that's what it's all about uh, for you. Maybe you come to please somebody. Uh, you think that a friend or a relative would think badly of you. If you don't go to church, maybe you like to sing and this is the place you get to stretch your lungs a little bit. Or maybe you view church to come as that place to hear some inspiring words. It just helps you uh, along uh, through the week to come. Well, there's some merit in some of those motivations. Uh, we do value the community of people in the church, and we do enjoy singing, and yes, we want to be stretched in our thinking as we hear from the Bible. But friends, if you come to church for those kinds of reasons alone or, or similar, then dare I say you've missed uh, the point of the church's existence. 
If you come here every week just so that you can satisfy your own needs, so you can consume an hour of content like Christian iPlayer, or so you can speak to the same couple of people uh, every week and then you go home and change and you return the next Sunday to just do it all over again, then it's possible that you've not quite grasped the very purpose of our gatherings here week by week and including tonight. Now that's quite a claim, isn't it? How can I say that? Am I being unfair? Well, friends, do turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 95 as we find within it an invitation to praise, an invitation to sing, to hear, to respond to the Word of God, an invitation to worship. That is why we gather. And this psalm calls us to worship. And as we begin a new year, it's good for us to hear this call, to be reminded of why it is we are here. A vital purpose of our existence as a church is that we might worship our wonderful God. And so there are, are three truths that I want to encourage uh, us with, that I want us to see in this psalm that will encourage us in this, this vital purpose of our existence as we begin uh, 2024. And the first is found in verses 1 to 5, and it is rejoice in God the Creator King. Rejoice in God the Creator King. This psalm begins, doesn't it, with a call to worship. The community of God's people are summoned to come together for the purpose of rejoicing. Do you notice that in the opening two verses? It says, come, let us sing. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving. Yes, we know, don't we, that we're to praise God as individuals. But here we're reminded of the communal emphasis of praise. God's people are called together to rejoice, not to aimlessly muster up some happiness, but specifically to rejoice in the Lord himself. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation, the great God of promise who defends and delivers his people is to be the object of our praise. And what does that praise look like? Well, we're told here, aren't we, to, to sing for joy, to shout aloud to the rock, to come before him with thanksgiving, to extol him with music and song. Essentially, we use any possible way of expressing love and loyalty to our Lord, to our rock and our redeemer. Those words, sing and shout and extol, they're, they're full-throated acclamations. We really mean it. Fit for a king who's the, the rescuer of his people. This encourages us to, to engage intentionally when we gather uh, together. We're not here just to consume content. We're here to worship God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. It can be easy to come to church and feeling a bit preoccupied or even a bit apathetic sometimes. Um, that can be true of us, can't it? We sometimes don't really feel in the mood. And yet here the psalmist encourages us to come together mindful that we who belong to God have the unique purpose of worshipping him with praise and with thanksgiving for who he is and for all that he has done for us. There's much that we can learn from 
our spiritual forefathers, those that have gone before us in the faith. And one such person was a man called George Swinnock. He was a Puritan around in the 17th century. And he spoke, he wrote a bit about the benefit that God's people will know if they're prepared to come to worship, if they're prepared in their hearts before coming together uh, for public worship. And that preparation includes things like confessing our own unfaithfulness, dwelling on the infinite majesty and the holiness and the goodness of God and, and much more besides. I don't want to stress it doesn't matter when we do that or, or where we do that. This isn't a case of setting down rules here. But the principle of spending some intentional time in prayer, no, no matter how much or how little, to prepare our hearts as we come together, that can only be a good thing. And so I wonder if you think of, of this, if you think in this way of preparing yourself, thinking about why it is we gather. Those who went before us, they would ask, well, what do we do to rouse ourselves to seek God? Jim Packer wrote that heart work must have priority or spiritually our worship will get nowhere. That's something that really convicts me and I'm sure that it's something that speaks to you as well and it's something uh, for us to all apply to our own situations. We are called to worship God and we're told what that looks like. It's, it's full of thankfulness, it's enthused with joy. We're not ashamed to ascribe greatness to our God the rock. But so far, we've only been told that we should come. But you might be starting to ask, well, why? What reasons are there that you and I should come to worship God? You could ask, well, why does God deserve our worship today and every day of our lives? Well, look with me at verses 3 to 5, where we see that this joy is not some kind of fake happiness. That's a common mistake to make. We think we've got to pull our socks up and muster up some smiles when that's not really how we feel. No, we're given reason that we might be joyful. So we come to worship together in verse 3. We read, For the Lord is the great God, the great King, above all gods. God is great. It's as simple as that. He is majestic. He is mighty. The Lord is the great God. There is no other God. Only one, and he is great, and he rules, and he reigns over all creation, above all things. At the time this psalm was written, the, the nations that surrounded Israel all those years ago, they, they would have had their various gods, gods of the sea, and gods of the sky, and gods of the mountains. But those false gods, they're, they're nothing compared to the great God of all. The psalmist clearly sets the Lord as exalted over those so-called gods. He says that, there in verses 4 and 5. This incredible world in which we live is both formed and kept by almighty God. We see those truths there in verses 4 and 5. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. They are gods, they are gods, they are gods. They all belong to him. God is the great creator, the great controller of all. He made each thing and he sustains each thing. To the bottom of the sea, to the top of the mountain, it all belongs to him. Nothing is beyond his dominion. Our God is the king who is enthroned over all. And we're to praise him, we are to rejoice in the creator king. 
the world we're living in this evening, friends, is not random. There is a God who made it, and he made you. And he is sovereign, and he's majestic, and he's in charge of all things. And as we begin a new year, we are encouraged to worship this God, to live for the Creator King, to worship him, to rejoice in him, full of thanks that we know him. I wonder, will you ask God to help you to do this as we begin this new year? Will you ask him to help you to prioritize rejoicing in him, coming together to worship him? We're called to rejoice in the creator, God. Secondly then, in verses 6 and 7, another encouragement for us at the outset of this, this new year. We're encouraged there in verses 6 and 7 to revere God, our shepherd, to revere God, our shepherd. That's how we're to respond to the, the greatness of our God, the one who made the seas and the mountains. Now we are in verse 6 to come. Let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. This is a, a vital element of our praise as we read of bowing down and kneeling before the Lord. The psalmist is concerned that we get low before God. Not necessarily physically, as some of us might struggle to get back up again. Uh, but the principle is one of getting low in our hearts before God. We are to have a humble attitude of heart before the Lord. And some of us might find that physically kneeling down helps us in that. And that's absolutely fine. By all means, do that when you pray. But the main point here is that we must accept our own lowly position. And acknowledge God's greatness, his lofty position. This is really important. Such reverence or admiration is, is vital. Because without it, the, the joyful noise of, of the opening verses, it becomes nothing more than self-indulgent, religious entertainment. Not something that is spiritually enriching in the presence of the Lord. True worship involves realizing the awesomeness of God, experiencing the fear of the Lord as we see him for who he is and all of his holiness and all of his majesty leading us to a deeper love for him. So we need both joyful thanksgiving in song, but such only celebration only has its place if it becomes adoration. And in our hearts, we are in total submission to our God, lost in wonder, love and praise. That is what we should be as God's People truly lost in wonder at the stunning miracle of grace that sinful people such as us might be numbered among his people. That's the encouragement we find in verse 7, which says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. We are called to worship the one who is king over all, the one who loves us and cares for us. He loves us with an everlasting love. He is our maker and he is our shepherd. Here is the reason that we worship. God's kingship, his promise-keeping love. If you are a Christian here uh, this evening, then you are a part of God's special people. You are the people of his passion. He is your God. He is your maker. He is your shepherd and we are the flock under his care. That's who we are as his people, the flock under his care. We as a church 
are here because we have a shepherd who cares for us. And the reason we come to worship him is because this great and mighty God has come down to this earth to become our shepherd and to call us his sheep. Isn't that awesome? In the true sense of the word, that is awesome. God is our shepherd. He's committed to his people. His commitment is constant. His care is sufficient for us. His knowledge of you is personal. And as we begin this a new year, we strike a great note of, of assurance in these words that the shepherd is our God and we, the flock, are under his care. Isn't that a comfort that you know God as your shepherd and he knows you? And so, like David writes in Psalm 23, you can say that the Lord is my shepherd. We belong to someone else. It's good to be reminded of that, isn't it? That whatever 2024 holds for us, that we are his. We belong to him. It's a staggering thought, isn't it? And it might help us to think about this using uh, the picture of a shepherd. I've never looked after uh, sheep myself, apart from feeding some at a farm park. Maybe you've uh, done that kind of thing. I think it's fair to say, isn't it, that a shepherd would have to enjoy their job to do it. Otherwise, you simply wouldn't do it, would you? If you weren't a fan of sheep, then you just wouldn't bother. Maybe it'd be nice in the summer with the long evenings and and the nice weather, but I can't imagine it would be much fun in the winter at this time of year, outside in all of the elements and the wind and the rain and the cold. And if you were just doing a job simply, you might just give it up sooner rather than later. But someone who is shepherding their own sheep, is going to give all of their time and all of their energy and all of their care, no matter the weather outside and what's going on, to protect animals that belong to them, aren't they? And so in some similar sort of way, it is a wonderful thing to be reminded that we are the flock under the Lord's care. We are his possession. And he's not going to give up on us. We are his people, which is all because we know the good shepherd. Because our God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep. It's Jesus who is the good shepherd of his flock. He is the one who's all we need. He says that himself in John chapter 10 and verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have one who gives his life as a voluntary sacrifice for his sheep. He gives up his life for his people. And it is because of this that you and I can say that we are his sheep. We are the people of his pasture. It's because of the death and resurrection of Jesus that we are the flock under his care. He made you. He saved you. He cares for you. And so then how can we not bow before him in worship? How can we not revere him? How can we not have the deepest love and respect for our great God? That is What you and I are called to do as the people of God here at Bethel, we are called to be God-centered people. We are uh, to have him front and center of our lives. We are called to revere him because of who he is, our sovereign, loving shepherd. And we need this reminder, don't we? Because it is so tempting to put ourselves first. We think of uh, what we want to get out of things. We can be so uh, me-centered. But rather, the psalmist is encouraging us this evening to be God-centered. 
to be Jesus-centered, to be good shepherd-centered, and to trust in him and him alone, because his endless mercy will follow you all the days of your life. We must have a humble attitude of heart. We must confess our sinfulness. We must acknowledge our shortcomings, and we must bring them to the good shepherd, thanking him that he has laid down his life for us, that he has given us eternal life, and that no one will be able to snatch us out of his hand, praising him that he knows us, and that we can say that we know him as we listen to his voice and follow him. Brothers and sisters, as we go into 2024 together, let's make sure that with God's help and his strength, we are revering God, our shepherd. May we be living for our Lord as we should. May we together be pointing each other to our good shepherds. May we be encouraging one another in the Lord Jesus Christ. Come, let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Let us commit to do that, to prioritize that in the year to come. And so we rejoice then in in God, the creator king, and we revere God, our shepherd. And then thirdly, there's another aspect of this psalm that I want us uh, to grasp. Another reason for our existence as a church, this is what we're, we're here for. Another core that gives us purpose as a community of God's people in this year to come. And it is that we are to respond to the God who speaks. We're to respond to the God who speaks. That's what the final verses of Psalm 95 encourage us uh, to do. As we go into a a new year, we are encouraged to listen to what God says. We are to hear the word of God and not just leave it at that, but to respond to it. Take a look at this from the end of verse 7. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. Up to this point in the psalm, it has been God who has heard our voices in prayer and praise. But it isn't enough for God just to listen to us. We must listen to him. We must hear the voice of God in his word as it is read, as it is taught, as it is preached. Something that we do on our own as we read it in the week, but also together in this way on a Sunday and on a Tuesday night when we meet together for for Bible study, hearing the word of God, really uh, paying attention to what the Bible says. It must be central to all that we do if we are to worship God aright, if our worship, whether it's private or whether it's communal, is to be truly Christian. It must be a priority for us as a church as we look to the year to come. And here from verse 8 to the end of the psalm, we, we have a change in the speaker. In my Bible, these words are in quotation marks because here we have the direct words of God. Of course, all of the Bible is the word of God, but these are are the direct words of God. These are what God is directly saying uh, to us, to his people. And to understand what these verses mean with their unusual place names, we've got to briefly have in mind some Old Testament history. And what we have here is referencing events found in Exodus 17 and Numbers 20. They're chapters which record sad events of of disbelief and disobedience from the Israelites. They had seen the Lord redeem them from Egypt. After hundreds of years in slavery, they had seen his his great power in the ten plagues and in destroying uh, the Egyptian army as they were pursuing them. 
<coughs> they had known incredible rescue from their slavery, and yet they tragically refused to rely on God to provide for their daily needs. Not long after they've crossed the Red Sea to safety, they moan about being hungry. They wish they were back in Egypt where there was food. And so the Lord kindly gives them manna and quail to eat. But then it doesn't take long for them to, to complain that they're thirsty. They don't trust God, but they blame him and his servant Moses. So again, the Lord kindly provides water for them to drink out of the rock. But in Exodus 17, Moses marks this event with two names for one place. Meribah, which means quarreling or contention, and Massa, which means testing. And those place names, they symbolize a whole generation of faithless Israelites who challenged and tested the Lord, even though they had seen all of his mighty works in Egypt, at the Red Sea and in the wilderness. The Lord had wonderfully cared for them, and yet... The people just complained and grumbled and moaned against the Lord, moaning that he'd even brought them out of slavery in the first place. Instead of trusting God, the people argued against him with arrogant words and unthankful attitudes. And this all comes to a head in, in Numbers 13 through to 20. And that, it costs Moses and the generation from entering into the promised land and so that's why back in verse 10 of Psalm 95, we read there, For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, They are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. The generation of the wilderness represented many generations of Israelites who consistently disobeyed the Lord, even though he provided for their needs for 40 years. They were corrupt and they proved that they did not know the Lord, nor did they love his ways. And so we read in verse 10, the Lord's response to all this. The Lord says, for 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I was angry. The Lord's response is one of anger. He was angry with his people. Maybe your Bible says that the Lord loathed that generation. And that's really strong, isn't it? It is personal. And remember that the Lord isn't impulsive. He's not unreasonable, which shows his absolute outrage at the arrogance of his people. Yes, we've thought that the Lord is a loving shepherd who cares for his people, but he's also a holy God who does not let wrong go unnoticed. He was so disturbed by this negative response to him from his people that he was angry, and rightly so because of their sinful actions as they hardened their hearts against him, refusing to do his will. And the result of their disobedience was that a whole generation didn't enter the promised land, which is why in verse 11 the Lord says, So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. They would not enter Canaan, where they would wander no more, they would never know rest and enjoy peace. Now, I realize that's a bit of a history lesson, and you might be wondering, well, what has all of this uh, got to do with us this evening? How does it speak to us in Gesinan in 2024? And the answer to that is found in that word in verse 7, today. Today, we read, today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Then was then, yesterday was yesterday, 
But today is called today, and today calls for a different response, a response that we must have to the wise word and good ways of God. Tonight, an obedient response to the word of God is required because tomorrow might be too late. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It's the same message for us here tonight. As we begin a new year, we are warned as God's people at Bethel, do not harden your hearts. Don't think that we're any better than those silly Israelites. We can look at what they did and we can think, well, we would have known better. But we are equally warned this evening. Do not complain against God in the way that he leads you and feeds you. Do not ignore the word of God when you hear it. Do not deliberately disobey it when you hear it for, for yourself. Because if you do that, uh, instead of rejoicing in him and revering him, then you're testing him. And you're trying him. And we know, don't we, that that's a little bit like when a child is misbehaving or they're ignoring their parents' instruction. That behavior is, is testing the parents' patience, isn't it? It's, it's daring a mother or a father to discipline their child. And when we don't listen to God's instruction, when we refuse to trust God for who he is, for what he has done, and what he can still do for us in providing all that we need, we're hardening our hearts. It's so sad when that happens, when we fail to honor the Lord. Because if we harden our hearts, then as verse 11 says, we shall never enter his rest. But what does that mean? Well, verses 8 to 11, as we read earlier, are quoted a couple of times in Hebrews 3 and 4, where it's being argued that Israel failed to soften their hearts and to listen to the word of God, and we too can fail to do this. And the point is that though the Israelites had tested uh, God so much, the point, and yet they'd been treated with immense mercy, and for a while they seemed to rely on God, but it didn't last. And so for us today, from this psalm, Psalm 95, with the help of Hebrews 3 and 4, we're warned as God's people to respond to the word of God and not to harden our hearts when he speaks to us. I don't want you to misunderstand me here. If you're a Christian tonight, you who are trusting in Jesus Christ, you cannot lose your salvation wonderfully once you've come to know the grace of God for yourself. You can never find yourself outside of God's kingdom. And yet these warnings are for our good because in order to persevere to the end, to make sure we make it, to make it safely home, we take these warnings really seriously to spur us on and to help us. So in the words of Hebrews 3 in verses 12 and 13, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. As we kind of touched on this morning, it's turning away from those things that distract and turning to the living God. Don't have an unbelieving heart. Turn your hearts towards the Lord. This is an issue of the heart. It was the heart of the Israelites that went astray, wasn't it? That was the root of the problem. In their hearts, they didn't really believe that God would lead and protect and provide for them. 
And we're not in a good place spiritually when we aren't interested in Jesus Christ and his word. We're not interested in living for him and his glory. The writer to the Hebrews wanted professing Christians to keep on going. And so he looked to the Israelites and said, don't be like them, who instead of being softened to trust the Lord as he delivered them out of Egypt, became hard in heart and they didn't trust in his goodness. And the point is that this is what will happen to us if we do not persevere, if we harden our hearts, if we discard our hope in God. But in Jesus Christ, we are not offered a physical promised land to go to, but we are offered ultimate rest, a rest that is beyond anything that Joshua won for us at Canaan. You and I can share in God's rest. We can enjoy his finished work of creation and salvation. We can find rest from the burden of trying to save ourselves. The words of Hebrews 4 and verse 10 that we read, anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. You and I, Christian, are warned to listen and to respond to God's word. We are to repent. We are to turn from complaining and grumbling and disobedience and distrust to the rest that is found in God alone. Not a trust when it suits me, but a complete and total trust in the Lord who provides us with ultimate rest. And so as his people at Bethel, we must not harden our hearts and ignore the word of God to us in this year to come. It's so important that we live by God's word and that we do what it says. We must desire to, to live by it, to listen to it, to apply it to our lives with the help of the Holy Spirit, that we might become more like our Savior Jesus this year, that we might shine more brightly for him, that we might be used as a faithful witness for him, that we might glorify him and one day enter eternal rest. Brothers and sisters, we are called to do that this year. So do not harden your hearts. Respond to God's word. Whenever you hear it this year, respond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit in repentance and in faith, even this evening. But as we close, I realize that you might be listening to this and you know nothing of this real rest because up to this point you have rejected or ignored what the Lord has said to you through his word. You've heard it many times maybe, whether in person or, or online, but you've hardened yourself against it. But in the kindness of God, he's brought you to the start of this new year and you find yourself here this evening to hear this urgent message at the start of a new year. Today, if you hear his voice, and don't harden your heart, today, friend, is the day of salvation. The Lord Jesus Christ himself says in Matthew 11 and verse 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You can read in Hebrews 4, as we did earlier, that Joshua and David, they didn't succeed in providing ultimate rest for God's people. But in Jesus, the promised Messiah, in the Lord Jesus Christ, rest is still being offered this evening. You can know real rest and peace with God this year as Jesus encourages you to come to him. Even this very evening, he says to you, don't harden your heart, but come to me.
you who are burdened by the weight of your sin, by the weight of trying to do your best to somehow prove yourself to God, by the weight of your anxieties and the worries of life, Jesus says to you, come to me, no peace, no rest forever, through the forgiveness of sins that leads to that ultimate rest of heaven, as you are right with him. I wonder, will you do that this evening, friend? Will you come to Jesus and put your faith in him? Why not start off this new year by coming to know the creator king, the good shepherd, the one who speaks to you this very night? Come to Jesus and find rest for your soul. Don't harden your hearts. And so I wonder then, why do you come to church? That's where we began. And that's the question I leave you with as we close, as we've lingered in Psalm 95 this evening. I wonder if you've been struck by the answers. Some of the things we've, we've seen in answer to such a question. Are you struck by the fact that we come to worship the Creator? That we can say that we're children of the King. Are you encouraged that you belong to the Good Shepherd? Are you moved to revere Him? And to praise him more in your heart because he is your God and he cares so deeply for you. Are you convicted that he is the God who always speaks? And he's spoken to you this evening and we must turn each of us in our hearts to him. We must respond to him and be shaped by him as we hear him speak to us through his word and by his spirit rather than hardening your hearts. And so as we press on together into this new year, may the Lord help us together to have these purposes in mind, to rejoice in him, to revere him, to respond to him. Let's pray uh, that we would know the help of the Spirit to do that, to make much of him, to have him front and center of our lives, that we might be a church that are full of praise and full of thanks to our great triune God, living for him, being guided by him, and that all of the glory would be unto him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do speak to us and you've reminded us of this again tonight. We praise you, the great creator, the good shepherd, the God who speaks. Please keep us from hardening our hearts. Please help us by your spirit to repent and to turn to you in complete trust again this evening or even for the very first time that we might know real peace and true rest today, tomorrow, this week, and in the year to come, as we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.